0: Namaskar and Jai. Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a video and a podcast show that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. We are now in season five of our show and have over 2,000 recordings, which you can see at www.tbcy.in. Today, it's my privilege to welcome Mr. Humang Bedi. Mr. Bedi, welcome to TBCY. Thanks
1: so much, Shesh. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Mr. Bedi is a co-founder of Versa Innovation, a content technology platform company, and India's first tech unicorn focused on local languages whose algorithms power daily hunt. India's largest content and news discovery platform across 14 Indian languages, and Josh, India's leading short video app. An entrepreneurial business leader, Omang has previously served as managing director at Facebook India, Adobe India, into building and growing digital business in the region among with an alumnus of Harvard Business School and an engineering graduate from University of Pune. he is the recipient of 40 Under 40, India's Hottest Business Leaders Award given by Economic Times and Spencer Stewart in 2014, GQ's 50 Most Influential Young Indians for 2016 and 2017, Fortune India's 40 Under 40 in 2017, Influence of the Year in 2018, a business world and media game changer of the year in 2019 by international advertising association and ey entrepreneur of the year finalist in 2020. he's a fellow and a member of aspen global leadership network his list of accomplishments are very long i can just go on and on but i'm going to pause here and open up a dialogue with mr Bedi. uman it's a pleasure to have you i know you keep a very 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 busy schedule and you've been all over the world in the recent past few weeks and busy with many things. Thank you for taking time and it's a pleasure to have you with us.
1: Likewise, Shesh, looking forward to this conversation.
0: Umang, you know, there, are, there is a lot of interest about you, your background, where you come from, what you've done. I want you to briefly talk to us about your journey from being Umang Bedi to the Umang Bedi you know, who you are today and how it started, what it is. Can you just briefly tell us a little, uh, you know, your, about your journey?
1: Yeah, no, firstly, I think uh, they are the two same among babies. Uh, I think the <laughs> uh, there's no difference uh, in who I was 20 years ago and who I am today. I think for fundamentally, uh, when you, you know, your, your title of the show is called The Brand Called You, um, and in my, you know, I, I love the story of how brands are built, uh, whether they are individuals or their businesses. Uh, fundamentally, brands uh, or anything that becomes a brand is about two or three integral elements. First is the experience is the brand. Um, and in my lens, uh, just by saying there's a brand called Puma or a brand called whatever, Rolls Royce or Louis Vuitton, uh, there's a perception caused by that brand, and that that perception has to be experienced at every juncture. Uh, and that can only happen with authenticity. So I think my journey uh, across the last, I think now twenty five years is just I'd like to believe is uh, characterized by authentic experiences where in every interaction that I have with an individual, a company or a or a stakeholder, Uh, or an employee, I'm always trying to see how can I add value genuinely in a very authentic way without any masks. Um, And I think that's what characterizes my journey. But in a nutshell, um, having said that, uh, I think the last 25 years is characterized by three phases. Uh, The first phase was growing up uh, in a middle-class family uh, in school in Bombay and then in Surat um i was a good student back then stood second in india in icse which i am i don't know if i should be proud of or not but it was all downhill from there uh from that point onwards but uh, the first 7 years of my career was uh as an engineer uh with sun microsystems and semantic uh when i was 26 and a half or 27 rather I accidentally moved from being an engineer to being a CEO, never having managed people in my life. Uh, And that's when I started running into it uh, around the world. Uh, We called it India and Emerging Markets, but it was a US-based company and the world was our oyster. Uh, Spent four years doing that, Uh, spent the next six years running Adobe uh, in India and eventually Asia. And that was a really fun phase where we transformed this from uh, a desktop software company to a true cloud-based company. Um, And the last uh, uh, two years in the corporate world was leading Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp as its CEO in India and South Asia. Fun journey, um, you know, became the largest country in the world. And then turned 40. uh, And I think my wife describes it as my midlife crisis, wherein um i went from uh i i tried to transform everything about myself physically uh spiritually and uh you know from the point of view of work uh and then began the next five years journey of being an entrepreneur so i think that's kind of the nutshell uh and along the way i'd like to believe that whoever i've touched uh they may like me or they may not like me i mean that i can't control but I know I have been genuine, authentic and honest uh, in all of those relationships. And I've tried to add value. In some cases I have been successful, in a lot of cases I failed, right? Uh, But I know that that authenticity has carried uh, me in good stead and the good news is you don't have to wear masks if you're truly authentic and you don't have to be worried about the fear of being judged. Um, And so I think that has been uh, a true learning for me along that journey.
0: So uh, on the on the word when you say
1: being authentic,
0: I can I can tell you you are, uh, you know, and I I I've had the experience in this relationship of knowing you for some time, and you are purely genuine, absolutely. There's no, you don't come in layers. You just come the way you are. So and I also agree with you. You are the same. I'm very sure. That I didn't know you when you were young, but uh, I'm very sure you couldn't have been any different than what you are today. So I think it's just human. Uh, Ubal- There are very few people who hit the peak in the corporate world and make a huge success of it. You are one of them. You were were on top of the game in the corporate world. And then you just decide one day to give it up. And you make the move and you become an entrepreneur. And, you know, and, 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 uh, well, let's put it there are many entrepreneurs who are not even close to what you were in the corporate world, but you decide to make this huge shift. What was running in your mind?
1: So, uh, to be very honest, uh, I think I always, I've said this before, but I think of my phase between 23 and 40 um, and 40 and above. <laughs> I think uh, I led a very shallow existence for the first 15, for the first part of that period. Uh, And I would go out to say that probably I was amongst the most shallow human beings on planet earth. And the learning that I had was, I was always chasing something for someone. Um, It's not that I was genuinely having fun, but it was always uh, a goal, a goal of uh, a higher target, a better achievement, a bigger, a title, a bigger job, more people and more responsibilities, or you know a better car, a better lifestyle, so on and so forth right They were very shallow monetary based goals uh, that one was uh, chasing. The other thing that I realized when I hit 40 was you know and this came to me as a learning from a professor at Harvard Business School, Clay Christensen, who's very famous around you know his theories around disruption was, you know, he asked me, he said, uh, how much time in a week or in a day do you spend uh, with your loved ones? Uh, Or he, so rather he asked me, what's the most important priority in your life? And without flinching, I said, my loved ones. And he said, okay, how much time do you spend with them in a day? Um, And I was doing the math and I said, okay, maybe, you know, two hours a day, average it with a little bit more on the weekend. So maybe two and a half, three hours a day, right? And he said okay off that two and a half three hours a day how much time do you really spend with them without a screen in front of you and a movie doesn't count and i realized the screen is there for more than half the time so that that reduces it to about an hour and 15 minutes um and then he said okay in that hour and 15 minutes that you're not in front with that you're with them without a screen how much time do you spend not discussing logistics right? Like who's going to pick up my daughter from school or the parents from the airport. And I realized we do discuss logistics a lot. And then he said, okay, off that 45 minutes that you probably have left, that you're not in front of a screen and discussing logistics, how much time do you spend with them not giving them a negative stroke or a negative Mm -hmm. feedback or a correction? And I realized I end up spending half my time doing that. So he basically said that you just said you're most important priority is your loved ones. And you probably spend maybe 20 minutes a day not in front of a screen, not discussing logistics, not giving them negative feedback. That's the quality of time. And I think what that boils down to is strategy is about resources and where you direct those resources. In this case, the resources was my time. And I was not being genuine around saying that my my loved ones and my family is my biggest priority but i was with my actual deployment of those resources it was the minimalistic uh, impact that i was making on them i realized that's what my entire corporate journey was all about uh, most people get these jobs when they're 45 50 i was lucky i stumbled upon being a ceo at 27 adobe was a great job at 33 facebook was amazing at 37 and a half but the moment i turned 40 i realized that's not who I really was. One, two, I realized that I had put on a lot of weight. I'd hit 145 kilos. Um, and I didn't like the person in the mirror that I had become. And three, I was always wondering that, you know, as the head of Facebook in India, it is a very powerful external job where, you know, everyone, you never get refused an appointment. Uh, and I was wondering, are they wanting to meet me or is it the title? Uh, and so it, I think it was a discovery process of all those three elements coming together to say, am I really having fun? Because at the end of the day, what these jobs become in the corporate world is you have very little influence on product uh, and you have very little influence on shaping product. You're more a go-to-market engine or a sales engine, right? And for sure, there's fun in that. but you know beyond a point, it wasn't uh it wasn't uh, compelling and appealing to me. So one on the day I turned 40 the next morning I resigned, spent a week uh, negotiating with the company that I really want to go and I'm not going to another job or competition, spent the next three months handing over, you know nicely so that I exit uh, well. And I think in that phase or that learning, what I had seen was three things were happening in India. One, thanks to Jio, where data had become virtually free, uh, you know, we were adding millions and hundreds of millions of new users onto the internet. The second learning there was, uh, or rather in in these hundreds of millions of users, India has only 250 million people that can communicate in English. Uh, A bulk of over a billion people communicate (laughs) languages and so content needed to be served in local languages. The second learning was that it's hard for the duopoly of Google, Facebook or these big companies to change their platforms which are English oriented to serve local language audiences because they're built on social graphs but you really need to build platforms that don't even care about who users are or who their friends and family are but just serve them content Bases a content graph. And I don't want to get into the technicalities, I'll come to it. And then the third was this belief that, you know, it's been done in China, there's a company called ByteDance, the owner of TikTok, um, that right. went on the journey of creating a very successful company. So potentially, there's a large opportunity to do it in India. And then a friend of mine, Viru, uh, who had actually founded Dedihan, uh, said, hey, among you know, we're a small platform right now, we have about uh, 7 million users who come in every day uh, We're sub $10 million in revenue, we haven't raised too much capital. Why not use this as a foundation? <clears throat> so it was an elder brother, Molly coddling me into entrepreneurship by doing all the dirty work of setting up a company, registering it and all of that. And the rest is history. But I think that was that game changing moment for me. I think the summary of that is one, true authenticity that I could have lived the next 20 years uh doing this job or, or similar jobs uh facebook was potentially the best paying job in tech in the country uh so what more from there i don't want to leave india it was very very clear the action is in india um so there was that hitting a glass ceiling there the second was was i really having fun was i creating new products um and that was generally not the case uh and the third was do i really enjoy the human being that i've become um and can i then transform it so if there was i went up to everest base camp did a trek and i remember the first sight at four in the morning when you saw everest was the sunshine hitting uh, the mountains and it a just like an orange peak uh, and the peak transformed right and i said hey what can i do to transform my life and so the next eight or nine months was a massive struggle uh flying economy all over the world when you're used to uh, a certain uh you know whatever the perks of uh, corporate jobs renouncing all of that you know just changing over to normal t-shirts and jeans uh and sneakers and traveling the world going on the ground meeting people meeting investors uh building a business building the product um and transforming my own life so i went from 145 kilos to 76 uh, I transformed everything about myself, my professional journey, my outlook. And I was pleasantly surprised that I wasn't refused a meeting. I was refused a lot of investments. A lot of people mm. said no, but I wasn't refused a meeting. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence that, hey, I wasn't an asshole back in those 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> The people genuinely still want to meet me and you know they wouldn't mind the meeting. So I think that that phase of doing what I did was game-changing. I wish I had done it 10 years earlier. Um, uh, I learned a lot, don't get me wrong, in my corporate phase, but uh, I'm having a lot more fun. Uh, there's a lot more anxiety as well, to be honest. Uh, mm. But it's very fulfilling uh, when 3,000 people within the company and their families depend on you know the decisions you make. Um, it feels uh, good to be here. Right. So, so Ubang, you gave up this Fledging
0: corporate life, you know, it's very interesting. Then you start this venture, which you were amongst the first company which ended up being the unicorn in the tech space. And this is the new, absolutely. And you and you just, you know, and and what a blast it was! Yeah. How, how did you, How did you? Did you? And you and you just made a mention that you know you met many people. Nobody refused an appointment to you. And while they did not agree to invest, but they met you. So here you are. You get on, you do whatever you're doing and then raise this huge money and then become a unicorn. And early ones. What was, What was? how did you, did you see this coming? Did you even have an inkling that this could happen?
1: So, no. You know, so I think unicorn is a valuation. It's, you know, as right. we all, unicorn yes. is Creature with a, uh, you know, with a horn, and it really doesn't exist. So I think uh, there are two phases or three phases uh, in every business. One is where you establish product market fit. The second is where you have enough capital to scale. Um yeah. And third is you have a valuation outcome based your scale of business. Um, these are never linear. Uh, For the longest period of time, uh, you know, we were valued at around, I think, 400, 500 million dollars. And I always felt that this is our revenue profile, our valuation should be larger. Um, And then there came a point where our valuation grew so quickly, where we crossed the billion dollars and now are at five billion dollars, where you feel, oh, my business needs to catch up to grow into my valuation, Right. Uh, Whichever phase you find yourself in, I think it's serendipitous that when uh, there is an acknowledgement uh, and that acknowledgement from investors is uh, a point in time, you won't believe it. I think the first three years as an entrepreneur, when Biru and I were struggling, um, we would always celebrate small wins. But then uh, once you turn unicorn and now pentacon and whatever these uh, definitions are, we haven't even paused and had a celebratory during uh, fundamentally because you realize that, uh, you know, when people are investing money at you on these valuations for you to return money back to them, you have to grow those valuations further, right? Uh, and that's always been... Uh, a fiduciary responsibility that stuck on in my mind and so we've always been you know trying to move forward rather than look backwards so we haven't really celebrated the moment Shish. I think it's a privilege uh, but there's a lot of flakiness with uh, startup valuations in India as well I just want to be very open and honest and I think a lot of businesses get valued pre-money uh, pre-revenue uh, and then they struggle because it's hard to make revenue and build a real business in India. You know that, right? I mean, you're an mm-hmm. company leader yourself. Uh, and so I think that journey of making it all real, uh, making it all tangible, being able to return value, you know, as you grow valuations is something that we've been very boringly focused on. Uh, and so really haven't paused uh, to celebrate the moment. But yeah, it feels good to be a part of the club. Uh, my father used to always say, "There's room on the top, but there's no place to sit." Uh, and so, you know, we we constantly try to re-energize the journey to keep growing uh, and doing the right thing. So yeah, that's that's a little bit around that moment. So fantastic! I tell you, it's so
0: interesting to hear you talk. Uh, you know, uh, Umang, it, it's you had a very fascinating. Uh, uh, journey and you know something which which, and you are knowing who you are, you are a very reflective person. You just don't go through uh, days and you don't go through uh, relationships without thinking about it. You reflect on that. I want you to talk to us and tell us about your lessons and the learnings from the journey you've had. Some of the key ones you know something which you think has stuck with you and has in many ways changed you like what you said one at 40. You realize what am I doing? You know, I'm just just going, and then you make the decision. The next day, you go and and you know, you, you say, "Listen, I want to reinvent myself," and you go and do what you did. Between then and now, what were the big lessons you've had through this journey, which has been transformational in some way?
1: So I think several, uh, some high level, some more on the ground. But at the high level ones, if I start there. I'm a big believer in disruption and transformation. Um, The reason I say that is I truly believe the biggest companies in the world today, Amazon, Apple, they will be disrupted. Uh, The average lifespan of a Standard & Poor's company on the S&P 500 is 15 years. Um, And so every business, think about it, GE was the largest company in the world for decades. Uh, And it's been totally disrupted. So I totally believe that if you embrace the status quo and just sit where you are, you will be disrupted because someone will come and do it in a better way or a more efficient way, right? Um, You know, the book industry, the music industry, everything has been disrupted, right? And so in order to embrace disruption, you have to be willing to transform. Transform yourself, transform your mind, transform... Uh, your body, uh, transform your spirituality, transform uh, your business. Um, So I think that's lesson number one. In order to disrupt and transform, you have to embrace a pivot. And what that pivot could be, could be different things. If you think about Facebook, Facebook probably had the most disastrous IPO. If you look back in 2012 or 11 when it IPO. And by 2014, you could argue, that had Mark not embraced the pivot of being mobile first. If you remember, you first accessed Facebook on a desktop. Uh, yes. And then suddenly in 2014, Mark said, I'm gonna build a mobile company. And Facebook went mobile, he bought over Instagram, which was a great decision. WhatsApp, Messenger, so on and so forth, all became mobile apps. So in that journey of disruption and transformation, you've got to embrace a pivot. Um, and then you've got to go all in, with ruthless prioritization and focus. Everything else is noise, but you just go after that one pivot that you believe in. Um, That's a very, very important learning in my mind. The third learning for me is what I call old power versus new power, right? We come from a world where as you grow higher and you become a CEO, things become more secretive, things, you know, knowledge is uh, honed in by a few. But I think we're living in a world of new power, where the best ideas come from the lowest ranks within the company, uh, that closest to the ground, that closest to the customer. Uh, new power is like current; you gotta, you know, it's like water. You have gotta let it surge, uh, and you gotta create frameworks for open conversation and open dialogues, wherein the youngest engineer in the room can call you an idiot or an asshole respectfully. Um, yeah. he disagrees with your point of view. Um, and you know, I'll give you one example of that. We had an engineer, a young kid, 25-year-old, the average age of the company is 26, so I already feel like a dinosaur. But one kid came over and said, I hate Daily Hunt. And I was like, really? It's such a useful app. It gives me news updates. Uh, he's like, no, it's boring. It, you know, it feels like something for my grandfather. So I said, hey, how would you make it more compelling? And then he said, it has to be snackable, more visual. And now if you open up Daily Hunt, uh, there's something called Espresso, which is a lot <laughs> stories-based feed. You can go deeper into it. It's very visually immersive. It's just got summaries. And of course, you could go into the longer read section if you choose to, uh, but he completely transformed the product. Uh, and that came from a 25-year-old kid. Uh, and that's an example of a new power, right? Uh, so I think at a high level, uh, those are the three things. You've got to be able to disrupt and embrace transformation. To do that, you have to embrace the pivot. And you've got to think about new power and create frameworks where that new power can surge and you can learn from it um, because you're getting older. And especially in an age of you know, where we are with generative AI and chat GPT, the world is going to transform. And if you think you know it all, uh, then you have something which I call founderitis wherein Uh, All founders uh, truly believe that they're right and they know best, and that's 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 the last thing because companies will you know most companies are built to die. Uh, They don't have a lifespan of more than fifteen years. I think on a on a ground level, the three big learnings are one, hire people that are better than you, more experienced than you, uh, and uh, you know who bring more subject matter knowledge than you in the domain that they work in, right? Uh, my group CFO, for example, is um, you know twenty years more experience than me. Uh, he's built companies, sold them, listed them. Uh, he's done a lot more than me. Uh, and so you hire for your deficiencies, right? Um, the second thing uh, that I think is very important is empower people to the point of discomfort, um, wherein it's their decision. Let them go run with it. You have to have a framework by which you monitor, right? I have a very simple traffic light framework wherein if it's red, I'll jump in. If it's yellow, I'll ask the hard questions. If it's green, I won't even ask, right? We'll just move forward. Uh, But you've got to empower them. They should not feel that you're the bottleneck for decision-making. So my mailbox, even if I share my screen right now, is zero emails. Um, There'll be nothing pending or sitting with me because the decisions are left to uh the key people that matter right and they're truly empowered and that is scary right and i right. think the third learning is uh you gotta show people the bigger vision uh of why you're doing things you cannot imagine the power of communication uh and my biggest learning with communication there is you know when you think about you look at great politicians and you can learn this right right uh, There are Aristotle actually said that there are three legs to communication, ethos, pathos, logos, right? Uh, Ethos is your ethical ability to come across as genuine. Logos is logic, logic, logic. And pathos is my ability to understand where is Shesh coming from? What is his background? How do I convince him? Um, And so I think when you strike the three in equilibrium, that's when magic happens because you just can't build, tell people to do things because of a logic. You just can't tell them to believe you because you're a good human being, but you've got to be able to see it from their shoes as well. And so I think communicating relentlessly, effectively, and always towards the larger purpose and goal uh, always holds you in good stead. So I think those are a couple of lessons on the ground as well.
0: I want to ask you this because India is on the crossroads today. We have enough and more of these young people who are really energetic on building a new India, digital India, and so on and so forth. We also have in equal measure, the old economy, which is required, the the manufacturing base. Now, you talked about empowering people, letting them run, giving them that free. Have you in doing this whole, in doing practicing what you are preaching, what were your hits and misses? do you, have you had any hits and misses And this any any times when you felt oh, yeah, I just possibly you know I think should i I should have had I overtook my own belief system a little too far. any experiences like that? any thoughts like that?
1: Yeah, I think uh, lots um, I think during I'll give you some examples of the corporate world and my current world. So in the corporate world, I think my biggest miss was um, uh, in Intuit, uh, we launched five new products, um, which were SaaS and mobile-based. Uh, Intuit never gave me Quick QuickBooks and TurboTax to sell because they were scared of piracy uh, outside of the US. So we created five new products. Three of them went and did well. One became a Harvard Business School case study on philanthropy where we were helping farmers, but one was an absolute disaster. And that disaster was where we were building a small business app for small businesses to do marketing to their consumers. Cut a long story short, I knew in my gut that it was the wrong product. We went and signed a partnership with Nokia back then, which was the largest mobile phone distribution uh, distributor in the world or OEM in the world. And we had 115 total sales, or 115 businesses that signed up to it. The learning there was trusting your gut. And I knew that, it didn't, it, the product was not making sense somewhere down the line, but the management and the global board felt it was the right thing to do. And I remember the founder of the company coming up and telling me that, why didn't you speak? I, I was telling him that I'm so frustrated, I should have spoken up earlier. And he said, that's an integrity issue. Um, And, you know, somebody can say anything about me, but don't hurt my integrity. Uh, And he said, it's an integrity without compromise, because most of the time you know something because you're closer to the ground on the reality and so you should always speak up uh make yourself uh and that was a lesson that i learned we burned 20 million dollars um and uh, it was an unsuccessful launch so that was a big 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 drawback earlier on in my career when i was an engineer I worked on a very big project um it had to deal with a certain government and then last minute it came down to Uh, doing things that would break the anti-corruption bribery act. And so we walked away. That was a very big setback. Uh, uh, During this journey uh, as an entrepreneur, we've launched uh, two hyper-local products that have failed. Uh, We've launched uh, another video product and a jokes product that failed. So there are enough and more failures. Um, I think the, the learning there is You fail, but you fail fast. Uh, Don't take too much time around it. Uh, The first time I made that mistake where I spent a lot of time, money and resources. And so you have gotta find a more rapid way of experimenting and failing. Uh, That's the big learning in this lesson. And I think you just gotta learn from those mistakes and move on, right? Like you just have to try not to repeat them and ideally learn from others' mistakes. See if there are precedences in the market. Uh, but there have been, like if I had to characterize it, you know, the external profile, of course, just shows a little bit, but yeah. it doesn't show the whole uh, laundry list yeah. of failures where there are large um, across the last 25 years.
0: So, well, you know, uh, uh, what does success mean to you? 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 You, in a very short span, have achieved so much. What does it mean to you?
1: so till a long time ago maybe 20 years ago success to me meant a materialistic outcome uh, i think what we what i've realized is as you you know as we've all grown as you grow your needs are finite your food becomes finite because of uh, you know blood pressure diabetes all kinds of complications that people have so you're already taking care of that so success is not a monetary outcome in fact success for me is uh, a well balanced life. That do I have? Do my loved ones genuinely love me? Uh, do I have a great set of friends uh, who uh, believe in me and can rely on me, more importantly, and I on them? Um, call it a personal board of directors. Um, success for me means what impact am I leaving on the world? Uh, and I think that's the question that's really bothering me now, wherein. You know, I can claim that we've got a couple of hundred million people that use our app, and you know, we empower them with information. Um, We, you know, uh, pay more than hundred thousand creators, and hence are creating downstream employment. But it's not good enough. Um, And I genuinely now try and I'm thinking about what can you do to grow from success to significance. And if you reflect on that uh, for a minute. you know, yeah, you're successful, but are you significant? Uh, will the world right. miss it if there is no daily hunt? Sure, the world will move on. Uh, right. What can you do to become significant? And I don't think I have the answer yet, uh, but that's the journey. Uh, and success for me today is finding out what I need to do next uh, to create that significance, to leave an impact on society, uh, sure. And a generation to come, and there's so many problems to be solved from climate change to energy to real world businesses. And I think you touched upon it. Uh, I'm a big believer in the old economy, big believer. Mm-hmm. I may be a part of the digital economy and maybe a beneficiary of that digital boom, but at the end of the day, you need manufacturing, you need transportation, you need you know movement of goods and services, uh, you need agriculture, you need food right? And at the end of the day, if we cannot scale on these problems, there's no way that we will build a world-class global economy, um, you know, to the kind that we are projecting our growth. Uh, So I'm a big believer that these two have to go hand in hand. Sure, there'll be AI and it'll disrupt a few things. It'll create a few more professions uh, along the journey, but uh, there is no way that all of this can happen without uh, the old economy actually growing um, and moving in the right direction.
0: You know, you made a, such a beautiful uh, statement, success to significance and, and I think it's such a powerful uh, phrase. Uh, you hobnob with who's who of the world. You know, uh, be it in India, uh, the leadership in this country, uh, leadership around the world. Recently, you were at then Downing Street, uh, meeting up with Rishi Sunak. Now, I see also there is a shift world over, the political leadership in particular, starting with our own prime minister, Mr. Modi, and then to uh, you know, what Rishi was doing and a couple of other people are trying to do. They are more and more wanting to meet up with these young entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs, and, uh, trying to try to spend time with them, pick their brain. What is it you all, What is? what are they talking to your people? What are they talking? What are they asking? What is it, what is on their mind? What do they, how do they want to use you people to make an impact and make the change? Do you do you sense that? Do you think that's coming?
1: So I sense a-
0: big, Because you touched upon climate and so on and so forth, various other things, yeah.
1: I sense a big change on how India has been perceived in the last decade. Now you can say that Prime Minister Modi is the world's best marketing machine on positioning India. Sure, you know there he's very good at that. But the world is looking on to India, um, and I and I can say this in so many ways. I don't want to sound like a spokesperson for the government or for anything else. But in my journeys around the world, look at the problems in the world. The biggest problem in the world is aging population. Look at Japan, right? China is moving there. All of the world is there. America is aging, right? Europe, Europe, Europe is aging, right? There's an energy crisis in half the world, in half the developed world. Uh, there is lack of jobs and lack of youth going into jobs. There is social securities. You know, I was recently in Amsterdam, and the guy at the uh, the waiter in the restaurant earns forty thousand euros as his minimum wage, and if he doesn't work, the government pays him that as social security. So you know. Um, if you're really thinking about growth, none of these economies are growing. Um, I was in UK recently, and you know what's happening to their economy. Post-Brexit, it's been a nightmare. Unemployment is on its rise. Crime is on its way high rise. Inflation is super high. Things are very expensive. Cost of food, goods, and services has gone up. And so everyone is looking at India. India, in my mind, uh, with our demographic dividend, we're going to be the world's workforce in the next ten years. Everyone is looking at how digital India has, uh, you know, transformed lives. Today, you have UPI, which is unheard of. Like you and I walk around the world with just our mobile phone, but that doesn't exist in other parts of the world, right? Leave China as yeah. one uh, odd example, uh, or the Jandhan scheme, or you know, Aadhaar, or today when you need to do a KYC or a business is just Aadhaar authentication and it's boom, it's a matter of seconds, right? To do KYC. So whether you take physical or digital, India is growing, we are the demographic dividend, we've got digital connectivity, and every country around the world is looking to emulate it. Take for example, what Rishi said, he said, if you think about it, UK has more unicorns than India, it's true. It has 163 unicorns, we have 120. UK has more happening on deep tech, climate tech, um, you know, genome work, so on and so forth. But the ultimate dissemination and usage of that tech down to individuals and small businesses is abysmal. Whereas when you think about the first platform in the world that hit a billion people the fastest, it was Aadhaar in under five years. It took WhatsApp more than five years to hit, or Facebook or Google to hit more than a billion users. So adoption of technology having youth, using the power of mobile, uh, having an economy that's still growing at 6%, uh, you know, despite all global headwinds, I think the world is looking at India, but it's time for India to put points on the board uh, as well, right? And I would say that it's time for businesses to put points on the board because uh, that phase is gone. So I'm seeing this as a global trend. Everyone is looking out to us. And when you go there, you realize that their world and their economies are pretty screwed right now because of these problems. And you can feel it. I call it, you know, people call talk about the Big Mac index. For the longest period of time, beer was cheaper than water in Europe. You would drink water from the tap, bottled water was expensive, beer was cheaper. This time around, I was shocked. A pint of beer in downtown London in a pub was six to seven pounds. That's 1,000 rupees right? Water was cheaper. So what that is trying to, I'm just using this as an analogy. If you think about beer being seven pounds a pint, then think about what cost of living would be, what affordability would be, what connectivity would be, and who solved that problem at a larger macro scale and will solve it better in the future, it's India. So the world is looking at us and it's high time that the onus is on us, to perform and put numbers and points on the board.
0: You know, uh, Umang, I'm actually running out of time, but I have, I can't close this conversation with you without asking you, because you are an icon for youth in many ways. Uh, there are a lot of young people who look at people like you, uh, and want to know, and, 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 and they, they take their learnings from there. What is your advice to these young, generation which is coming up there many of them India is the highest number of engineers come out of India so uh, it's a different story we're not going to the other side of it but just saying that India is a big pool of talent a lot of young people coming and looking with a lot of dreams in their eyes what is your advice to this uh, young people and one other question I would like to just you to also answer that as well if you were to advise the young people, what would be your advice, corporate world or the entrepreneurship? So I want you to, uh, you know, quickly touch upon these two points and talk about it.
1: I don't know, Shesh, about being an icon because I'm inspired by young people every day. Uh, you know, one of our friends' sons. That's uh, your
0: beauty, Umar. That's your beauty that you, you, you are such an humble
1: person. Uh, you know, these kids today are starting businesses and companies. Early and making impact and you know creating um, uh, value, but I'd say three things. One, uh, there is no shame in saying I'm I would rather do a corporate job. Entrepreneurship is not for me. Entrepreneurship is not for the faint-hearted in India. Um, it's hard. Okay, uh, and there's no shame in saying that's not for me. Um, Tomorrow, if I fail at what I'll do and I can't be an entrepreneur, I may go back to a corporate job. I hope and pray that I don't. Uh, That's always my prayer. But there's no shame in either one of them. I would say uh, you're dead as an individual if you don't create. Now, what does that creation mean? It could be creating impact in a corporate job or an entrepreneurship role. If you have an idea that you know is keeping you up at night. Go be an entrepreneur, right? Because yeah. you just can't sleep. You're so excited about that problem or that idea that you have, and you think it can be truly transformative. And it's keeping you up at night, and you're energized by it. I would say go be an entrepreneur. India today, as you know, has over 40 million small businesses. Actually, if you include the 60 or the 90 million odd farmers, and you call them a small business themselves, and 130 million small businesses, family of four more than half of India is just small businesses, right? Right. Uh, And then of course, there is a bulk of India, which is the big 15 conglomerates, right? Like like we rightfully know, but then there is this emerging India with digital um, that's created all these hundred plus unicorns. And so I think what I would say is, I'll be biased to say that go be an entrepreneur uh, because I think it's awesome, but I'm also being realistic to say it's not for everyone. Do it if you're empowered and passionate about an idea or a problem that no one else has solved and you think you can do it the best. Go right at it. Fail, fail fast if you have to, but try it out, right? Uh, And if it's not for you, you know, go join the corporate world. I mean, there's no harm, but even there, think about what value you're creating every day uh, and what have you given to the corporation versus just taking a salary from it. I'll pause on that one. Hopefully... That summarizes. Um, very, very well put. Very well put. Umang, having known you, I know
0: you answer your messages which come to you promptly. You reply your email. You keep up your appointments if it's on the calendar. You very seldom, uh, you know, cancel it. You you make up all that. You manage, and you're doing, and your calendar is invariably full. It's very difficult to get onto your calendar. Now. I have to ask you this question before I let you, and this is my last question. How do you manage your time with so much which is happening around you? What is the mantra which I think I see many, many business people, they schedule it and then they just go around shuffling it. They will will make you wait and they don't do, there are so many people who run big businesses, but they don't keep.
1: So I tend to think of it in Hinduism and in a three box philosophy, and I'll tell you what this is if you think about managing the present, right, if you think about life in three boxes, box one, managing the present, box two, creating a future, and the box in the middle of it all is selectively destroying things from the past. Um, And if you believe in this, then let's say you spend 70% of your time managing the present, yourself, your business, your goals. Um, Then the god of preservation is Vishnu. And when you work hard at it, his wife, uh, the goddess of wealth, uh, you know, Lakshmi, rewards you. Uh, but you've got to spend 30% of your time creating a new future. Uh, and the lord of creation, as we all know, is Brahma. Uh, and the goddess of knowledge, his wife, is Saraswati. But, you you know, what, what you hear is not going to get you there. So you selectively have to destroy things from the past. And that's where the god of... Uh, destruction shiva and the goddess of power parvati come into play right so i tend to think of my calendar and i try as my level best that am i spending 70 percent of my time on my core and am i spending 30 percent of my time on new things that will drive the company or me or you know whoever forward and that's how i manage my time and if a request comes in that fits into either of these two great if it doesn't it moves to the next week where it can fit within these two buckets Uh, and that's how I prioritize my time that you've always got to be creating something new for the future
0: thank you for listening to the brand called you videocast and podcast a platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world